Well, I know, uh, I know the most exciting part of, of, of me being here for all of you are my weekly sabbatical updates. And I know that, uh, that many of you are quite eager to know how Mark's doing. And we're not supposed to ask, so I've been kind of doing some sleuthing on your behalf. And uh, I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, I read some articles about you know, what people typically do on sabbatical. And we learned that a lot of times people will connect with nature. Uh, they might, uh, they might uh, look to new opportunities. They've never had an opportunity to kind of chase after. Uh, and I was reading this week, and it talked about how a lot of people like to learn a new skill, to find a new hobby, if you will. And so uh, I was able to track Mark down and found out that Mark has joined a powerboat drag racing circuit. Now, it, it may surprise you to know that, you know, drag racing and circuit go in the same set. I don't understand that part, but, uh, but our dear friend Mark has, uh, has joined the, the, uh, the, the drag racing circuit. He's doing very well. As luck would have it, I have, I have a, a video clip of his first race. Would you like to see his first race? Yeah. All right, so don't start it yet, but uh, uh, I'll just give you a bit of background. So drag race, of course, they're going straight, right? There's no turns. You're just kind of zipping along in the water there. And uh, you'll see from the camera angle, Mark's in the blue boat in the back. And I haven't had time to watch the entire 12-second race. I've been very busy, but I, I'm just going to tell you, it looks pretty good to start. Let's take a look at it. There he is. He's off to a fast start. Here he goes. Here he goes. I think he's got this one in the... Oh, my. Oh. Oh, I should have I watched the whole video, I guess. Although, to be fair, you know, it did say hashtag Wreck Wednesday in the corner. That should have been your first hint, but uh, he's fine. He's fine. I was actually was going to do the same, the same idea with F1, but those crashes are not, uh, they're not fine. So we had to find a new thing for him. So if you're wondering why the picture was F1 and then he was in a boat, just work with me. It's, it's been a long week. But uh, Mark's doing well, I assure you, and uh, misses us all. And uh, we're, uh, we're happy to be here, uh, even without him we're happy to be together and uh you know last week we talked about how religion is is it's our attempt it's my attempt it's your attempt it's it's people's attempt to get right with god to do something to make themselves right with god and we talked about how that usually kind of ends up being one of three things it ends up looking like routine it ends up looking like rituals or it ends up looking like a lot of rule following and when we focus on those things, we often are left kind of with a sense of like, these are things I really should be doing, or I really ought to be doing these things, rather than there being a passion for finding out what Christ would have us do, and then seeking after those things. And so when, you know, when Jesus ar- arrived on the scene, he brought a brand new system, not, not, a, not a revamp, not a changing, not a tweak of the rules. He brought a brand new system. And, and in this new approach is all about a relationship with God. It's not about following the rules. It's about following our Savior. And so we have been looking at Romans 8, and it's really Paul's kind of most definitive look at the gospel, if you will. This is Paul writing to a group of people he's never met before, but it's also a highly educated group of people. So if you're reading Romans, you might find like, wow, this is heavy. This is, this is, this is deep. And that's because he's writing to a specific audience that he wants to address. And, uh, and because of that, it's also a very logically laid out book and everything kind of step by step by step. And so so we, were, we, were, uh, we started in Romans 8, verse 1, and we, it simply says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which, which should lead us to the idea of, well, what is the word now, therefore? When do we use the word now in the English language? Use it when? 
Yeah, we're using it. Well, I am using it now. That's true. We use it when we compare it to something that's already happened, right? Now and then. So this was happening, but now this is happening. And so if you actually were to flip from Romans 8, if you had, I guess flip means like if you had a paper Bible, if you went back a chapter, you'd realize that all of Romans chapter 7 is all about the law. It's all about what the law could not do because of who we are. And then it actually is interesting. The last few verses of Romans 7, Paul says this. He says, you know, I, I'm a wretched man. He says, I do what I don't want to do. And he says, I can't, I can't always do what I, what I think I, what I should do. And then after he calls himself a wretched man, he simply asks the question. He says, who can save me from the law of sin and death? And that's what we've been talking about for a few weeks now. Who can save me? And of course, chapter 8 is the beginning of that question of who can save him. But it's, it's true. The old system was built on condemnation. I mean, you go out and ask any first century rabbi. I don't know if you know any first century rabbis, but if you went out and asked them, they would say, that's the system. That's the way it works. You come to temple knowing you've done wrong, accepting you've done wrong, and you're bringing a sacrifice with you. That's how, that's how you avoid that condemnation. And it clears the slate for a little while. And sometimes that little while would have been five minutes and walking out of the temple, something would have happened. And you're like, oh, I got to go back next week. But you always had to go back. And that's, that was the old system. And it's not the wrong system. That was the system that was laid out for the people of Israel. But it's not the new system that we live under. Because now as a follower of Jesus, this new system leads us to a place where we are uncondemnable. It's simply based on a relationship with him. And I think that leads to the question, though, if I live in a constant state of no condemnation, does it even matter how I live? And my, my answer to that would be fairly simple. It matters to Jesus. And I want to, I want to share a story with you that I think points this out really nicely in John 8. And I'm sure you've heard this story before. But we, we find Jesus and his disciples. They're at the temple. And, they're, and, and Jesus is teaching. And so it says Jesus was sitting and teaching the crowds, which is a bit different, right? Usually, now, the person at the front you know, would be standing and everybody else would be sitting. But it used to be the exact opposite, that the most learned, the most intelligent, the most capable person would be sitting, which explains why I'm standing. But back then, that's just how it was. And a crowd would form, and you'd have to get in close to see him. He wasn't up on a pedestal. He was sitting on, usually sitting on the ground on a mat. So people would kind of come in and move in close to listen, because, again, he didn't have a microphone. And so there's these huge crowds all leaning in, all trying to hear what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is teaching for hours and hours and days and days. And so it says at night, he and his disciples walked up to the Mount of Olives where they kind of camped out, if you will, about a 30-minute walk, kind of almost straight uphill. And the next day, they made that trip back down. And again, Jesus sits down in the temple. It's not like there was a meeting time. It's not like there was a big billboard out front, you know, Jesus from 9 till 10. It was simply, he was at the temple, and he would sit down, and people would come to him, and they would ask, they would ask him questions. They would, they would listen while he told them different things. And again, another day in a row. It doesn't say how many days in a row, but again, crowds are forming. There's a huge crowd around Jesus, and he's teaching. And of course... We also know that the temple is the home turf of the religious leaders, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people who, that was their home turf. This was temple in Jerusalem. This was the, this was the main stage. And so after day, a few days of seeing Jesus there teaching and all these crowds around him, they, decide, they, they devise this plan. They decide, you know what? Let's catch him in a situation where he has to say something that discredits him. And so, of course, we, we probably know this story that they, they ended up finding a, finding a woman who was caught in the act of adultery and, and they drag her there 
and they kind of interrupt Jesus and his teaching and kind of barge into this crowd. And it actually, the, the wording is, is kind of sad to hear. It says, they made her stand before this group. So this poor woman's been dragged there, and she's standing there in front of this entire group who have all been listening to Jesus. And you just imagine this, this circle of people kind of opening up, and she's standing there with these, with these religious leaders. And they, and they ask Jesus, they say, what do we do with her? We just caught her in the act of adultery, and the law says she should be stoned, which means put to death. And so here's what's really interesting. What do they want Jesus to do? Normally, if you're trying to trap somebody, you want him to disagree with you. That's not what they wanted. They wanted him to agree. Because when, if he chooses to agree, he becomes just like them. He becomes just as cold and heartless as they were. And what ends up happening is he demonstrates that he doesn't have this love and compassion, which is why the crowds were there. What made Jesus different all these days when he was teaching? Because he was different because he wasn't talking about condemnation. He was talking about life. He was talking about living the life that God has set out for people. And it was drawing crowds. So if he could, they could just get him to agree with them, suddenly those crowds aren't going to be so big and those crowds are going to start to dissipate because as big as a crowd as Jesus had that day standing there uh, as they stood there listening to him teach, you know who didn't have a very big crowd that day? Everybody else. Everybody else who was teaching the same thing that wasn't connecting with people heart, people's hearts. And so we, we get into this situation here. And so they, they, they ask him, and they ask him repeatedly, and he doesn't answer. And we'll, we'll let John finish the story in John chapter 8, verse 7. It says this. But they, and the they is the, uh, the religious leaders, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. I, I don't think he said all right, but anyway. All right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again. And I just want to pause here for a second. The crowd didn't leave. The religious leaders left. Those who wanted to stone her, to punish her, left. The crowd remained. It says that Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And so Jesus really kind of said two things here, didn't he? he? He First of all, he said, there's no condemnation. He said, I don't condemn you. And he said that first. He did not say, if you go and sin no more, then I will, then I will not condemn you. He didn't say forgiveness is dependent on anything. He said, first of all, I don't condemn you, period. But then he said, but it matters to me how you live. So I want you to go and I want you to sin no more. So first he says there's no condemnation, but then he says it matters to me how you live. And he said it in that order. It's kind of like he was saying this. He says, I don't condemn you. I came to restore you. I, came to, I didn't come to build, uh, to heap guilt and shame and condemnation on you. I came to redeem. So now in the light of that, knowing that, I want you to go and live a changed life, understanding what God has done for you, I want you to go and show God just a little bit of that love he's shown for you today. And for so many of us, I think we hear it backwards. We, we, hear, we hear this idea that you're not condemned, but it's somehow based on that second statement, go and sin no more. And I think that's, that comes back to the heart of religion, where we just have this thing in us that says, that, of course, I have to do better to be, to be accepted. And, and Jesus, even, even before the gospel is being explained to us, we, well, Jesus is still alive. He's teaching us the exact opposite. Now, I know that uh, 
I, I know that I'm your favorite guest speaker. I, I'm well aware of that information, so thank you. Wait for applause. Okay, and, uh, but I would, like, I would like to introduce you to my favorite guest speaker. My favorite guest speaker, Charlie, is going to come up here. And you all know Charlie, but you can clap for Charlie because he's excited to be here. And he's going to share something with you as well. As uh, Gary was preparing this and he was telling me that he was going to do this, there's no condemnation. Um, years ago, I was basically, I'm going to just tell a little of my testimony of how I grew up. And I, I grew up in a Christian home. We went to church many times, twice on Sunday, because that's what was expected of the good Christian people. And my parents were very, very involved. And, and they did a good job. I not, you know, not, not, don't want to condemn my parents at all, because that would be putting condemnation on them. So... But as I grew up, I um, always had a heart and a hunger for, for, for a desire to serve the Lord. And so I went to all the Sunday school, the classes I, I enjoyed. And then as I, after I got married, I also began teaching Sunday school and doing all the things. But there was always something missing. It was always just seemed like, like I had my parents, had, they had baptized me and I had... Uh, made profession of faith, which we did in the church that we were in. So I, you know, I said, I, I believe in the Lord Jesus. But it was all, I began to realize it, it was all uh, head knowledge, but yet I, I did, you know, doing, I did the duties. I, I taught Sunday school. I, I, you know, I shared my, my faith with other people. But there was something in my life that seemed missing. It was all Charlie doing it. The old Charlie was still doing it. And there was areas in my life I could not beat, basically, one of them was uh, a bit of anger, and, and some of the words weren't biblical words that came out when I was angry. And so those, those areas just couldn't seem to break. It was just, and so uh, I was involved in a Bible study, and we had quite a big group. And it was one, one meeting as we were talking about the Holy Spirit, and it was almost like it, all this knowledge that I had in my head dropped down into my, my heart. And it was like the Holy Spirit came in. And it would be, it, you begin to realize it wasn't Charlie doing it anymore. It was now the Holy Spirit that was taking over my life. And these parables all just came alive. And, and my, my, the boldness of, of my faith just all came alive. And I was basically 30 years old. And, and it, was just, it, was, it was just like I looked back and said, okay, at 30 years, Jesus got baptized. And so I felt to myself, I needed to get baptized and, and that really then made sense to me is when you get baptized, basically you're dying to your old self. Your old nature dies. It's crucified with Christ. And so it dies. And then you take on a new nature, which is the Holy Spirit, and then moves in. And so the Romans 7 thing that I basically still was living in, the things that I wanted to do, I, I a lot of times couldn't do because of that. Old nature was controlling my life. When the Holy Spirit came in, a lot of these habits and these strongholds that were, were holding me back, basically, God took them away. They, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, I became more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. And I find so often, you know, uh, we, we don't recognize and realize the power, which is like a dynamite power that, that we're filled with now. When, once we, uh, you know, are, are, are born again, which is the dying of self and, and the new spirit coming alive in us. Yes, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We can be bold. We can be, be more than conquerors through Christ. And so I just, just when Gary said there is no condemnation, sure, sometimes I mess up. Like last night I said, 
is there any sinners in the room? Well, all of us know that we're, we're not, we're going to mess up at times, but yet that shouldn't cause condemnation in our life. It should cause conviction, get it clear, make it right with the Lord, because our life is, our, our Christian walk with Jesus is a right relationship. So sin, to me, is willfully disobeying God, and that's one of the last things I'll ever want to do is willfully disobey God. And when I do it, I know it right away because my, I'm grieved. I'm grieved, you know, the Holy Spirit. And so you deal with it right away. You don't go and, well, we'll go next week and we'll confess. No, it's an instant thing that right away you're convicted and, and, and it's washed away. And like the song we sing, whiter than snow, we can walk a life that is whiter than snow, pure with the Lord. Saints, we're, you know, join heirs with Jesus. We're... We're you know, overcomers, and that's who we are in Christ, and that's how we need to see ourselves. Once you start seeing yourself like that, you won't walk and say, oh, I'm a sinner. I'm a... And, and so often that's what I say, oh, but you're a sinner. No, we're, we're, we, we were a sinner. We crucified that with Christ. Now we're saints, and we're, we're joint heirs with Jesus. Thank you so much. Thanks, Charlie. Uh, just uh, so happy to have you share that. Just because it's it's always uh, it's always helpful to hear it in a different way. And, and I've I've heard, I've heard from a few people in the last few weeks who are like they really really struggle with this idea of saying you know it's not about following the rules. And it's like well you know <laughs> you have to follow rules. You, you know or we're no different. It's like what makes us different is who's living inside of us. And I and I want to we're gonna come back to this in a few minutes. But just to, just to kind of remind something from the last few weeks is this idea. Last week we talked about coming full circle right coming back to that moment of salvation because in that moment of salvation we all accepted it was nothing to do with us and it was all to do with jesus and we in that moment and i know that's true for all of you because that's the only way it can be done right you when you when you pray that that uh, sinner's prayer and you say you want to accept jesus into your life you know it has to start at that moment of saying i can't do this i i'm broken and i need someone to save me and that's, that wasn't just meant to be at the moment of salvation. That's meant to be how we live our lives, with a dependence on God and a dependence on Holy Spirit. And so when, when we move away from that, when it becomes all about our efforts to do better, that's when we get in that situation where we find ourselves in a religion. It's about me making things right with God instead of allowing God to change who I am. And, and the problem is that when we go back to the old system, it again becomes all about us. It all becomes all about who can be the better rule follower, who can, who can kind of do the church thing in a, in a way that's, that's acceptable to others instead of it really being about a changed life. And you see, that system that offers salvation, it was never meant to be replaced by something else. That system of dependence on God to change us, to, to, to allow us to become saved, was never meant to be, to be given up on. And when, and when you do that, when you have a truly Christ-centered or, or a, a Christian lifestyle, when you, when you are affected and changed by God, it allows you to be a better person to have better relationships. It allows me to be a better husband and a better father and a better friend to to the people I have relationships with. It allows me to be an even better, if you can imagine it, guest speaker because it just changes your heart. Romans 8, verse 2 and 3, again, we're just kind of recapping something from last week, but it says, because through uh, Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives you life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. And we're not going to talk about that again, but you can go back to the last two weeks if you're unsure. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by our nature, by, by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin, not the person, sin in the flesh. 
And the problem isn't a lack of effort. The problem is it's impossible. It cannot be done. This is the very basic understanding of Old Testament law. It was too difficult for anyone to do. And we know there's only been one perfect person on this planet. And newsflash, it's not me and it's not you. And there's two ideas there that we, that we moved into, walking according to the flesh and then walking according to the spirit. And we talked about the flesh is all about religion. It's all about me and the parts of my life that I reserve for me. Whereas walking in the spirit is all about a relationship with him and allowing him to change us. And it's a focusing on Jesus. And so that brings us to this week where we're going to finish our time in Romans before we move on to Galatians next week. But as we finish that time, we're going to look at Romans 8.4 just one more time. And I just want to focus on a different part than last week. It says this in Romans 8.4, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And again, last week we focused on those words flesh and, and live, and we, and we kind of looked at what those meant. But this week I want to just take a very quick look at this idea that the law is fully met in us. And that's so important to understand that we, we are not just saying we have given up on the law. The Old Testament law was established by God. It doesn't, hasn't gone anywhere. But Jesus' sacrifice allows us to be the fulfillment. We, we take on his perfection. That what we could not do in our own flesh, it just said that twice in the last two verses, can be done when Holy Spirit, when, when God takes hold of our lives. And it's an amazing thought. It's the fulfillment of the law because we choose to walk according to Holy Spirit. And that's an important concept to remember. When this was written to the, to, to the people of Rome, but it wasn't written just to random people of Rome. It was written to the churches in Rome. It was, it was written to believers. And that's an important concept to understand because as believers, he's saying, you, you group of believers, there are those of you who are walking in the flesh. And there are those of you who are walking in the spirit. This is not talking about saved versus unsaved. This is talking about people who have a a salvation through Christ who are walking in the spirit. Charlie talked about how it took him till age 30. I wish I had figured it out by age 30. I'd be bragging about it right now. It took me much, much longer. But it's it's this idea that it's, it's nothing to do with your salvation. Your salvation is secure. But as those who are believers, as people who belong to Christ, we still have this option. We can choose to walk in the spirit or we can choose to walk in the flesh. And so it's not an issue of how can we be better. It's how can God make us better. And when we walk in step with Holy Spirit, what does that really mean? And that's really what we're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about. What does it mean to walk in step with Holy Spirit? And we might use some examples. You could talk about vines and branches. Um, but really, I just kind of want to start with the very basics. That, that walking in the Spirit is living a life in a way that is sensitive to and dependent upon the inner prompting of Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Living your life in a way that is sensitive to and dependent on the inner prompting of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's learning to trust the voice of Holy Spirit when you find things difficult. When you find in your life you're you're bent on this selfish path, when you know there's something you want and this is what you're going to do to get there, that's living in the flesh. And what we learn is with Holy Spirit that, that when we walk with Holy Spirit, they will just take us in a different direction. They will allow us to move in a different direction, away from that flesh towards what the Spirit would want. And so it's, it's kind of saying it this way, if, if, and tell me if you've heard this one before, it's kind of saying a little bit of this, it's saying I can't, but I know that he can. And it's all about relationship, knowing Holy Spirit's voice and trusting Holy Spirit's direction. 
But I think it gets even better than this. I think there's, there's one more verse we're going to look at this week. I think it even, even takes it a bit further. And it's, uh, it's found actually in, in verse 6. But let's look at 5 first. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And I really want to focus on that expression, the mind governed. What does that mean? And so that actually is a, is a great opportunity for us to enter into our last installment of Let's Take a Peek at the Greek. Perfect. Well, you heard correctly. This is our last week. Uh, funding has run out. We lost our sponsor, but uh, we got one more week in us. So if you've been eagerly, eagerly waiting for the big finale, because I got to tell you, tonight's prize is the big prize. Tonight's prize is the big prize. So if you've been eager, eagerly awaiting for that, now is your chance to uh, get a chance to come up here and speak some Greek. Isaac, how was that salad dressing? Oh, so good. It was good. It, oh, you got the salad dressing, right? Yeah. That's right. Uh, you, you did too. Or you were here Saturday. I'm confused because you were here Saturday night. That's right. The church had to shell out for two bottles of salad dressing. So pulling out all the stops. Let, let's see your little hand. Nice and brave. If you'd like to come up and speak a little Greek. No one. Ah, Levi's going to do it. I can tell Levi wanted to because here's how you know if, if you want to. The first thing you do is you do a quick look to see if anybody else is more eager. Everybody else looked down for a second. You're like, oh, I wore shoes today. That's cool. And Levi's like, <laughs> like he could not wait. So, Le- uh, sorry, I-, I stole your first question. What's your name, sir? Levi. It is Levi. I can attest to that. Uh, Levi, have you seen this game before? Watched it online once? Yeah, yeah. Well, we've been on for several seasons. You should really catch up. We're available on Netflix. But thank you for your patronage. And, and again, I do need to mention our sponsor, uh, Strong's Greek Concordance, for all your Greek concordance needs. And so uh, they've been instrumental in this as well. So you know the game. So if we put up our slide right now, our little pictogram, again, you have the choice. You can just read it right off the bottom in the original Greek, or you can try to put together our four clues here to come up with our word. And this is the word for mind. When we just read the mind governed by the flesh or the mind governed by the spirit, this is the word mind. This is why in your Bible it says the word mind because of this word. What do we think? Would you like a hint? Oh, you want to ask the audience? I, I don't know what they know, but let's find out. All right, audience, what do you guys think? What are you stuck on? Is it, is, it the, is it the boat? Because last night people were like, for boat? And I'm like, no, not for boat. Row, there you go. Fro-neat, not ahead. Who is that? Mom, not mom though, shorter. Ma, okay, let's try it. No, no, not boat, not boat, not boat. That's my bad, that's my bad. Row. Oh my goodness. Fronima. Fronima, yes, Fronima. Don't go anywhere. Don't put the prize up yet. Put the doors up first. You have to make sure you win the, the fabulous, fabulous prize, all right? Behind two of these doors are a prize, and behind the third door is the same prize. So it's important, important you choose wisely. Oh, I'll go for number one. Oh, big mistake, big mistake. All right. Your, your prize, here it comes, is a trip to Greece. 
No kidding. You can take a 10-day trip to Greece. There's several packages for you to choose from. Here's all you have to do. You choose the trip. You choose how many people. You choose the dates. You call the travel agent. You pay whatever fees they ask. It's probably expensive. Uh, I'll be honest with you. And then... I wouldn't bother getting a plane ticket. You're not going anywhere. Swim, I'm guessing, or take that boat, but it's going to be fantastic. If you call that number, the operators are standing by right now. Big round of applause for Levi, the winner of this year's grand prize. And there will be no episode for the next few weeks, unfortunately. Just be, uh, We had some funding issues, and we also had some Greek words that were just too easy to say. Like, next week's Greek word is one syllable. I'm not dragging anybody up here for one syllable. So uh, they, they, there's an expression, always leave them wanting more. And I realized that was probably more apropos three weeks ago, but that's, that's what we've got. But that's the word, phronema. Phronema is the Greek word for mind, or I shouldn't say that. It's the Greek word that we use in, in, in that piece of scripture for the word mind. So here we go, into our Strong's Greek concordance for all your Greek concordance needs. Here it is, two-part meaning. Number one, it combines a visceral and cognitive aspect to thinking. Oh. No? I'll keep going. Essentially equates to a personal decision that you feel so strongly about that it fleshes itself out into action. Let's go back to that first one. It combines a visceral and cognitive uh, aspect of thinking. So let me, let me give you a hint. The root word, phrony, the root word here, is actually the same word that we use for, to describe a body part. What do you think that would be? We're gonna tr- we translate it to the word mind. Charlie, you can't do that. <laughs> Charlie's making baby faces at the baby, and I just see Charlie going, (laughs) you got to (laughs) stop. The baby and I are very entertained. You're very very talented. What what body part would it be? Phronemia. It has to do, we use the word mind. What would it make sense? You're you're like, uh, I'm not going to say it because it's obviously wrong. What does it make sense it would be? The brain, the head. It's not. Any guesses what it would be? Where do they get that word from? Heart? Heart makes sense. It's the gut. It's actually the root word. And that's what, and that's what that, when I said uh, visceral and cognitive aspects of thinking, cognitive means, means your, your, your brain's ability to process. So when I say co- your cognitive part of thinking, that's you sitting down and thinking something, planning something, making a decision based on what you think the best idea is. And of course, that, that second one, the visceral, is that gut feeling. That's that feeling that you know that you know that you know. That you know something is right. You know something is the best way to go. And it says that this, this word, mind here, is a combination of how you, your best thinking and your gut reaction. I want you to think about how powerful your decision-making would be if every time you had to make a decision, you, you, your brain and your gut lined up perfectly. That you came to the same decision, no matter how I think it through, no matter what that gut feeling is, I know that I know that I know. And that's exactly what they're talking about here, that a mind that is governed by either the flesh or the spirit is a mind that is certain about what should come next. And so a mind that is governed by the flesh has no misunderstandings. You're going to say things like, you know, I'm looking out for number one. And that's a, that's a common thing you might say. And there's, there's some cognitive logic to that. But it says, but if you choose to 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 um, to have a mind governed by the spirit, it's knowing in your head and knowing in your gut how God would want you to act, how God would want you to to make this decision, how God would have you move forward. And there's no second guessing. There's no uncertainty. You know, 
You know that you know that you know. And this, this, is, this is not a change to whose rules we're following. We're not just saying, well, I'm going to go from my rules to Holy Spirit's rules. It's a different way of living. It's a different way of living when you allow Holy Spirit to have input into your decision making. And, and, and again, as it says in verse 6, to actually change the way you think, to change what you, what you desire based on who you're listening to. Is it my flesh or is it Holy Spirit? Romans 8 simply says this, you can have a mind of flesh which leads to death, or you can have a mind of the Holy Spirit that is life and peace. And when I word it that way, I don't think many of us would be like, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that death stuff sounds pretty good. We would know. We would just know. I, I want life and peace over death and turmoil. I don't have to think very hard about that. And God says, as believers, we have this ability. We have this choice to listen to Holy Spirit speaking into our lives, or we have the ability to shut Holy Spirit out of our lives. Death means the end of a relationship. Every relationship that, that, uh, that dies, any relationship that is broken, it usually comes from the idea that there's been a level of selfishness with somebody or maybe both people in that relationship that causes that, that level of, of disruption. Think of, think of, you know, when we talk about 50% of all marriages, even in the church, 50% of all marriages and in divorce, a broken relationship usually can be traced back to someone or maybe both people living away in such a selfish way that they just, they just struggle to be able to give of, to, to one another. As long as we choose to walk in the flesh, and remember, that's, that's not that carnal version we talked about a couple weeks ago. That's that self-sustaining, I can do it, I'll do this in my own strength. As long as we live that, our relationship with God will suffer the same way. When there's selfishness in our lives, it doesn't just affect relationships with those we know. It, reflect, it affects our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And then our last verse from Romans, and I'm going to speed up here a little bit. It says this, uh, Romans 8, 7. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It, it does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And this is right back to where we began. We cannot fulfill God's law on our own. So a decision to live in the flesh, a decision to listen to our own ideas and our own opinions and our own way of doing things and shutting God out from those decisions it cannot, there's nothing that can be done. No matter how good you get at following rules, you cannot get there. It's three times in these seven verses Paul mentions that. Paul mentions that, that it's, we cannot do it. We cannot do it on our own. We cannot follow God's law without God's help. Just like we could not save ourselves when that moment of salvation came around. And verse 7 tells us straight up, the mind of the flesh can't submit to God because it's impossible. And Paul adds this kind of as a reminder. He's been talking about this for seven verses. And actually, he's been talking about this for eight chapters. But he's talking about this as a reminder that it's not a matter of how hard we try. It's not a matter of becoming an even better rule follower. It's not a matter of maybe hitting up a second or a third church service. Maybe I'm going to go to several churches during the week. It's not about finding a way to do it better. It's finding a way to allow Holy Spirit to affect and change how we think and who we are. It's, it's a little bit of like a trick question, though, when I say I think what we need now are some, some practical ideas of what that means. It's great for you to all leave here saying, well, I'm going to walk in the Spirit. That's a much better idea. How do you do it? And it's really difficult to talk about because everything I want to do sounds like rules. I'm like, hey, well, here's three easy steps. Follow these steps. And it's like, well, it's not about following steps. And I don't think it's, it's by accident that the answer really comes in with a simple idea of that the plan that God has laid out for us, the way in which we walk in step with Holy Spirit is to build a stronger relationship with God. And I don't think that's by accident. It's not about rules or r- routines or ritual. It's about that relationship. 
And there's lots of different ways that you'll hear people kind of explain this. It's kind of like if you ask somebody about the Trinity and say, how do you explain the Trinity? There's all these different kind of ideas. Well, it's like an egg. It's like this. It's like that. And it's difficult to talk about the relationship we have with Holy Spirit in an analogy, but I'm going to try anyway. And I'm just going to simply ask you a question. If you wanted to have somebody come to church next Sunday, how would, what would you do to get them here? And, and step, version one might be this. You might draw them a map. You might draw them a map of where the church is. You might label some different roads, some landmarks. You might even, if you're really, really helpful, you might actually start the map from their house and bring them all the way here. And that's kind of the flesh way of doing it. It's kind of this idea that I'm going to offer them some guidance and they're going to figure it out. If they follow my instructions, they'll get here. And the difficulty becomes, what if those instructions are not very good? Well, they'll probably still get here. Maybe they'll Google it. Maybe this, maybe that. But by, by simply giving them a, a set of instructions on how they get where they need to go, some will get here, many won't, some will get lost, many might give up trying. Drawing a map is kind of the flesh way of doing it. When you say, well, what if I, what if I give them a ride? You know, it's kind of that let go and let God, you know, Jesus is my co-pilot, or no, God's my co-pilot. Jesus, take the wheel. I like that one too. You know, but it seems kind of this loss of, this loss of independence. It's like we become slaves to the Holy Spirit. And that's not what's described to us. That's not the way it's described. Or maybe there's a third option where you'd say, you know what, why don't you follow me? Why don't I come by your house and you can hop in your car and you can just follow me? And so the more focused you are on me, the more likely you are to get here. And you're not going to get lost unless you choose not to follow. If I turn left and you're like, I wonder what's right and turn right, I can't help you with that, right? I have to choose to follow. But to follow somebody here is more likely going to be successful. And you know what? I may even learn something about that person watching them drive. And maybe it's good, maybe it's bad. I'm not going to say. But I'm going to learn something because I am focused on that person that I'm following. And the reason I, the reason I give the, the, the example of giving them a ride and I talk about you know, this, kind of, this, this feeling of uh, almost a, a loss of power, a loss of, of a control of our lives when we, when, we, when we choose to walk with the Holy Spirit is I think because of, of a, a few translations that I'm not really a fan of. And I want to show you Romans 8, 6 in the New Living Translation, which is, is a very common translation, probably the most common one that you'll hear around. It says this, So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And of course, we read that with the word governed, right? The mind governed by. And there's something about that expression, letting the Spirit control your mind, I I, I find difficult. I find it hard to hear that because walking according to the Spirit is not an exercise in mind control. It's not this idea that I'm going to flick a switch and now Holy Spirit runs my life and I'm just a passenger. It's, it's much more carefully worded than that, I believe, in, the, in, the, in some of the original language about a mind governed by. It's my thoughts are governed by. My ability to make decisions, my choices are governed by what Holy Spirit would show me, where Holy Spirit would lead me. And that's such a different idea than saying my mind is controlled by Holy Spirit. I'm just kind of like a passenger in my own life. It's not a, and it's not a commitment to do more. It's not Holy Spirit telling me, here's your checklist. I want you. It's not somebody else giving me the rules. It's simply this idea. It's a dependence on God. It's an understanding that without God, it's not something I'm capable to do. So our last thought, and actually we're going we're gonna to kind of jump ahead to Galatians where we're going to kick it off next week. And I am aware it took us three weeks to do seven verses, but we're going to really go hyperspeed next week. But Galatians 5.16 says this, so I say, this is Paul writing to a different group of people. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
And that's going to be our kickoff for next week. But Paul doesn't say, try harder, and you will not uh, gratify the desires of the flesh. Instead, he simply says, by walking by the Spirit, or walking with the Spirit, by choosing to allow Holy Spirit to direct your, to help direct your thoughts and, and to help direct your actions, that's how you're going to not gratify those desires of the flesh. So how do you start? How do you start when your goal is to be dependent? Well, uh, that, that, this may seem like a weird time to introduce the title of today's message, but today's message is called First Steps. And it's this idea, you know, I, I think about, you know, a baby's first steps. And I think about, you know, ba- babies are awfully happy to crawl. You know, crawling's comfortable. Crawling obviously comes natural because that's what they pick up first. Not many kids start walking and eventually end up crawling. You know, they, 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 it's comfortable. And it's, it's something they do naturally, and it's easier, and it's, they're not likely to fall and hurt themselves, or they're less likely to fall and hurt themselves when they're crawling than they are walking. But, of course, parents, we want our kids to walk, right? We don't want our kids to, to crawl for their whole lives. And so I've, I've never heard a parent of a three-year-old bragging to their friends, you know, what a great crawler my kid is. You should see him go. I've never heard a, a junior kindergarten teacher writing in a report card comment that, you know, your, your son or daughter, they're crawling at a grade four level. Like, they're just exceptional crawlers. I've never seen the, the parent of a teen uh, say, you know what, he's such a good crawler, we're actually going to see about, you know, he might become an exterminator. Like, we're thinking, you know, he could crawl under there, <laughs> battle that raccoon or skunk, whatever it is. Like, people don't want, like, people think, I don't want my kid to crawl. I don't want my teen to crawl. I want them to walk, right? Because that, that's what's better for them. And uh, as a church, we want to be a people who want to walk with the Spirit. We want to we learn that next step where we can actually be walking with the Spirit. And the thing about toddlers is, you know, they don't, just, uh, they don't just stand up one day and just start running and walking perfectly and spinning around and jumping. You know, those first, those first steps are offered often awkward and, and, uh, and difficult, so, so much so. I was looking at some of my kids' videos of their first steps, and it's like, I can't even show this. They're going to kill me. Like, they're, they're, they're so awkward in everything they do. But, of course, what they know is with practice, eventually it becomes second nature. I don't know many people who, you know, many adults who get up in the morning and they're like, I'm going to walk or crawl today. I'm not sure. Maybe, uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll wear some corduroys. They're a little tougher on the knees. I, like, no, of course not. Like, walking becomes second nature. And we talked about the law of sin and death. We compared it to the law of gravity a few weeks ago. And we say, you know what? Gravity is safe. I understand gravity. Standing on the ground, you know, I, that feels safe to me. But climbing on board a 747, especially when I explained I don't even know how the math works, right? And getting on that airplane and rocketing up into the sky going 500, uh, sorry, it was almost 1,000 kilometers an hour, that thing travels that that's a little more scary but think about the awesome power involved and that power can be yours and that power is yours through holy spirit so let me let me just last thing i'm going to say let me am i simply maybe a tease towards next week and i I, because i don't think it's an accident and i don't think it's a coincidence that the plan that god has laid out for us to walk according to the spirit is a plan that requires us to live more closely with him to understand who he is, to learn from him, to have a life that is connected in a, in, a, in a powerful, loving relationship with him. That's the first step, to connect with God in a way that we can recognize Holy Spirit. But that's what we'll talk about next week. Let's pray. Lord, just so thankful for an opportunity to share, so thankful for this group, Lord, and so thankful for Paul, who would explain these things so clearly to us so that we can wrap our heads around them. It's a difficult concept to understand, Lord, but we know that as believers, we're no longer condemned. We are now saints. We are now yours, Lord, and we just want to be a people who take that next step, Lord, who take that, make that decision to, to leave the flesh alone and to follow after Holy Spirit, to walk in step with Holy Spirit. Maybe we be 
May I be a person who does that. We may, wait. may we be a people who does that in this church, Lord. And we just pray this week as we head out, Lord, we would we would think about what first steps mean. We would think about what it means to walk in tune with, uh, with Holy Spirit so that we can be transformed. Because only through that transformation we may ever make, make it to the point, Lord, where we can truly be pleasing to you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, a couple quick questions, as always. Uh, first one's always the same. I'll let you read that for yourselves. Um, second one, have you, can you share a time with your group or whoever you're chatting with where you've really felt aligned with the Holy Spirit? One of those decisions where you just knew that you knew that you knew. I'm going to share next week about my, my ill-fated uh, trip to Bible college. But man, I knew that I knew that I knew in that moment. I think that's the first time in my life that I really felt Holy Spirit's uh, hand in my life. And uh, number three, how would you describe walking in the spirit? What does it look like? And I think the more interesting question might be, what does it not look like? And so uh, uh, wishing you all well this week. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. There is, there is a real issue for, for parents right now. There's ice cream at the back and there are children downstairs. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I'm supposed to tell you to pick up your kids, but there's ice cream in the back. I think I've made that clear. So uh, if you don't have kids, I get back there lickety split before all those kids come flying upstairs because you say ice cream to one kid, they all heard it. So uh, have a great week and we'll see you next week.